Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share, she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Needs, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Sarah Ellen. Hi, Susan. How are you doing this evening? I am doing really swell this evening. We have set a date for giving death to our baby bucks. Oh, wow. When is the day? 
doesn't really matter when the day is. Um, that's not the important part. What's important is that we set the day ahead of time so that mm. we know about it, they know about it, so that I can say to their mom, at this and such time, your babies are going to be our dinner. Mm. So that I wow. can say to those baby bucks, enjoy every moment. At this time, we're going to give death to you and you're going to become us. Mm. Now, the wow. only important thing I have to say about the time is that in general, it needs to be done before they're three months old. Okay. Okay. I, yeah. Okay. That was a better way for me to ask what I was wondering. Okay. Before three months. No. Before the three months old, because they can become fertile at that point. Mm-hmm. And they will breed their moms. Yes. I remember the want, story you told long ago about, about having an unexpected... Goat who did just that because we kept him for four months. Yeah. It didn't seem like much longer to us, but it was enough time for him. Wow. So it's actually something that you pretty much need to do, like when that baby buck is born... Pretty much as soon as it's born, you need to decide, what is this baby buck's future? Is this baby buck going to be part of my herd? Does that mean I need to weather him, which is polite for cut his balls off? Mm -hmm. Cut his balls off, take his horns off, so that he's a mild-mannered, friendly buck. He'll still get big. Mickey really likes one of the bucks, the one called Day, the white one. And not that he doesn't like night, but day is friendlier. And he was saying, oh, maybe we should just keep day. I said, I'm fine if you want to keep day, but you have to get him castrated again before he's three months old. And he does have horns, and we're going to have to deal with that. And ultimately what Nick said was, I don't want to be responsible. He's going to get big. And male goats do get big, even if you castrate them. They're not ornery. But they're still big. And one of the reasons yeah. I keep goats is because they're small animals. Thank you, so if they step on my foot, they don't crush it. Mm. So mm. are you going to keep a baby buck? Probably not. Rarely would you. Are you going to keep it as a stud buck? Mm. That, again, that's a, a big deal and a difficult deal and really hard to keep a stud buck. Or are you going to sell it at auction, trade it to someone, give death to it? Mm. Pretty much as soon as that baby buck hits the ground, you should be asking yourself that. And come to some answers about that within a day or two. Don't put mm-hmm. it off. Mm-hmm. So it's easier for you and it's easier for the animals. Everybody knows what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. I totally, I, I am really, I'm hearing you and I'm living what I'm hearing you say for myself because yeah, I, this is our first year having goats, kids. So we, you know, we had one buckling, have one buckling 
And um, I, I, yeah, I totally hear you. I, I feel blessed because we had two girls and one boy. And that is what I went into it saying was that I could handle one boy because um, fascinates me what you say about the male bucks, uh, because one of my first experiences, well, my first experience being with the goat that I actually milked coincided with the bucks being present. And there was one goat being milked and there were four intact bucks. So I just have a deep level of appreciation for their size, their power, their strength and the trust relationship that I was able to have with them. I'm not ready to have whole bucks, but I had committed. What month of the year was this? It actually, I went into rut with them, <laughs> literally, because, yeah, it was okay, starting so you, would, you would say during the mating season, when they when their necks swelled yeah, up. Yeah, when they were pissing on their heads, and I was trying to offer them, like, the cool down of some water, which, of course, they didn't want poured on top of them. But it just looked so painful, the scald between their horns. Yeah, they were fully horned. They were crazy in rut. Um, I had the relationship established prior to them going in rut. I didn't meet them when they were in rut. Um, But I found them very responsive to what they knew what I expected of them. I knew that they didn't necessarily have to do what I expected of them. But we (laughs) had a trust relationship. (laughs) That's that's wonderful. And how old were they? Um, So I keep asking Pam that. Um, The oldest bucks were at least at least three but more likely they were four uh then there were two younger bucks that were probably they, sound, they sound young yeah i can show you pictures their horns had full curls they they were big i mean they, these, yeah. they were real bucks because that yeah. was my but experience too when i kept a buck is that they've been durable for a year or two sometimes into the third yeah. Well, the the gentleman who still one of them he still has the buck, Willie. Um the other three went somewhere else. I don't know where they are, but Willie is still a stud buck and he's still manageable. Still I I could send you a picture of Pam with her kneeling down, crazy as it sounds, like head to head with this buck. And um they're, you know, they're having moments and it's it's a really interesting relationship and um I'm saying it's not without risk, but it is powerful. It was powerful for me. It was powerful for me, yes. not in a foolish way, very. but in a very um, sacred, respectful, grateful way. Very powerful. <laughs> so you're gonna, so you're gonna keep your buck. This is the last one. So next year, I like I appreciate hearing what you're saying because I've already been putting that into my being and into the mothers that if I decide to let them be with Bucks again this year, which I likely will, but any future boys will be given death. And I need to learn how to do that. So, yes, um, this was the third and final, and he will be weathered. Um, I'm glad to hear you. That was my why I said I should have phrased that differently. 12 weeks is important because the 4-H mom was saying 16 weeks, but I just kept getting the sense. I asked her yesterday, I'm like, are you sure? It seems like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. You can tell. <laughs> yeah. I was like, it's only yeah. nine weeks, and he looks like he's thinking about it. 
Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. by nine weeks, they're already trying it out. Yeah, yeah. She's like, it's a dominant thing. I'm like, mm, yeah, because there's more than that. <sighs> so, okay, uh-huh, I'm glad really. you that ceremony. <laughs> Yeah, and but I, think, I think it's, I think it's very appropriate that we talk about giving death in the face of um, women's right mm. to give death being curtailed. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, like all people that I've met, um, I don't want there to be death. I don't think there should be death. I would prefer that nothing ever die and that everything just goes on and on and on and on. But you may have heard me tell the story of Mother Kali and how Mm -hmm. Mother Kali created things on the land and things in the sea and things in the air and then went home and took a long nap. While back on Earth, there were more and more things on the Earth and things in the air and things in the sea. And every time they got crowded, they called out to Mother Kali, but she just kept sleeping. Until at last, there wasn't any space at all. Not in the land, not in the air, not in the sea. And with one big voice, they called out to Mother Kali, who couldn't sleep through that, got up, put on her robe of many pockets, and put gifts in those pockets. And she went to earth with her gifts of injury, illness, disease, and death, so that there would be room. So I remind myself that giving death is a gift from Mother Kali, and that in so far as every woman is others, in so far as every woman has the capability, whether she chooses to use it or not, to give birth, it is in fact the responsibility of us as women to give death. So it's not just something that we do because, well, golly gee, we need to or we have to, because it really moves the wheel of the year. In fact, traditionally, much of this happened at summer solstice, and it was symbolized as um, giving death to the Sun King, because the summer solstice is the longest day, and the very next day, it's already shorter days. Yeah. The Sun King is dead. We have to kill him mm-hmm. at summer solstice so that he can be put on at winter solstice. Yeah, I remember the first time I heard that, I, it really made me appreciate the Wheel of the Year more to know that, oh, wow, that happens now on, like, it's the longest day of the year we're going to give death to the Sun King. Yeah, it's, yeah, it really brought into my understanding and feeling, yeah, the wheel. And, and yeah, I noticed on Solstice, leaves really started to fall from the trees like they were reminding me like we're giving death to the sun king today and it was just amazing yeah 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 (laughs) i told my neighbor that by text 
thought I was crazy. She was like, a uh, happy summer. <laughs> like, I think she got it. Artist summer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well. Falling leaves. Happy summer. Uh, yeah, right. And it is the start of summer. How wonderful. Yeah. Right. Now, you know that I had a tomato seed that sprouted in a pot in the house last year. I've been talking about this, right? I wondered if right. you were eating those tomatoes. So, Ellen, I don't even know how to tell you this, but those tomatoes, which in the house ripened to red outside, are now ripe to orange. Oh, my gosh. I wondered if you moved it outside. I was feeling this plant this it week. It took I was five like, what? people to move it outside. But we did. Wow. Yes. <laughs> when did you move it? When did it be home? Oh, gosh. Um, um, at least a month ago, mid-May. Wow. And now orange tomatoes. Now the, all the flowers that have flowered outside are bearing orange when ripe tomatoes. What? And I said, no, there's not, there's not two tomato plants in there. There's one big tomato stalk with all of these, you know, like what happened was some of the branches got broken when we moved it. Tomatoes are brittle. And it's, it's like this is an indeterminate plant. So just spreading like crazy from all of so making tons of new flowers. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> Absolutely wow. perfect. It sounds like such a, like, grateful, like, a reciprocity relationship because I know you're so grateful for the plant, and I bet the plant has been so grateful for the home over the winter that, wow, now she's in the sun on your deck. And what that is on your deck. Right. Nice. Uh, hey, now, let's see. Uh, gosh, I've been having a hard time getting the information on our guest for tonight to come up. Everybody but the one I want blog Carly. talk guest doesn't bring it blog talk radio doesn't get it for me. Let's try Ah, uh, Carl, Allie sent it to me. Proof, Allie, message. Clark talk, that's for July. I don't want that. I want 628. Da, da, da. Carla H. Brown, a gifted laughter professional. Now, I have been accused of a lot of things, but I've never been accused of being a laughter professional. This is going to be mm-hmm. good. She has been passionately sharing her playful and effervescent style of laughter and joy since 2009. And tonight, she will be right here with us, effervescing and joyous. Join us at 9 o'clock East Coast time, or stay with us until then. What else is going on for you that you want to talk about? We're getting more and more presenters for the Hypericum Conference and reminding everybody, mm-hmm. make your Hypericum shorts while it's blooming. You don't have to turn them in. You can edit them. You can think about them. But make them now. You know, it's really interesting. I don't know if you're getting any of this, but so many people are saying to me, oh, I thought about making a comfy short, but I thought it wouldn't be good enough. But then when I saw the comfy shorts, well, I could have made one. Yeah, you can, really. You don't have to be a professional, anything. Just go outside, and you can even, like, hold your phone. It's okay. Handheld is fine. 
or invite a friend to video you. They can be really short. The mo- to me, the most stunning of all the country short videos was a 43-second clip. It doesn't have to be long or involved. Make those Hypericum shorts. It's blooming. Time to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're seeing yeah. people respond as we uh, are putting out uh, Come and Be a Presenter, yes? Yes, yes, and we're getting contracts back already. So it's things are in full swing. Hypericum is a fire on fire, I should say. She's yeah, she's lighting it up everywhere, and people are responding. And I, yeah, it's so tempting for even me. I I feel like I, this time I'm going to have to do something because I've been putting on Hypericum every day, and the more and more I see naysayers, it's the concern about having hypericum on skin and I take it internally and you you know me I have reddish hair I have very pale skin very fair and I don't put on anything other than that and I don't burn I don't burn um I I, I don't I don't worry about it at all so it just amazes me to hear all of the fear-mongering around that aspect of it because it's something I have a deep deep experience with daily so yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah. And it's bringing me more relationship with Hypericum because I think you planted the idea in one of your suggestions for a speaker or a presenter to talk about not just sun protection um, with the skin, but how it works with the skin to help the skin maybe heal itself or clear itself of things that are preventing it from being just its nourished own self. And I'm starting to find that the more diligent I am because I hadn't put it on every day because I do think it conveys an effect where my skin is just more naturally resilient to the sun that I don't need it every day. But using it every day, my skin is getting a new type of glow to it. So very interesting. I love hearing that. Thank you for sharing that. That's so wonderful. I asked yeah. Song if she knew why it was banned in France, and she said yes, because of possible interactions with drugs. Mm. Mm. And th- I, I'm gotta say that's the kind of thing that really, you know, makes me just want to jump up and down and and make inarticulate sounds. Mm. Mm. Wow. Wow. There's a possibility this plant and a drug might interact. We'll ban the plant and let people take the drug. I'm like, you know? I'll be there with those sounds. Yeah. So, let's see. Last time we tried to find somebody who actually came to harm, died, just came to harm from ingesting comfrey, using comfrey externally, came up pretty much empty-handed. Um, and so this time, let's see if we can find somebody who takes Hypericum tincture and has had a drug reaction or interaction. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, think that's I know happening. a lot of people who take Hypericum tincture and take a fair amount of it and take drugs, too. Yeah. yeah. And it does it 
Yeah. Does it make their drugs not work? Very interesting. I have a hypothesis about the skin thing, too, but I'm not sure, and I'm not willing to test it on myself, but um, I'm just <laughs> curious, and now I want to figure it out by somehow. So I'm, I'm hoping maybe someone's had the experience of having a burn, and then I want to dig deeper into what other things were going on because I have a sincere hypothesis, and I think it ties in with the liver. Hypericum was telling me something about a week and a half ago. So anyway, that Ooh, those yellow flowers. flowers. Whispering liver yeah. secrets. Yeah. 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 Liver to skin secrets. Yeah. 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 As above, yeah, yeah. so below. <laughs> so, yeah, we have a lot of callers with questions. I'm, like, having so much fun tonight talking with you, Hypericum. Like, she wants to shine. She's like, talk more about me. But me, we have me. a lot of <laughs> Okay, let's start, let's start listening to those questions and see if we have any answers. All right. We've got nine hands raised. I will say if you have a question for Susan this evening, please do press one and get yourself lined up in the queue. Our first caller is dialed in from the 202 area code from the 202. You are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. Hi. Hi. Um, it's so interesting that you've been talking about Hypericum tonight because I think Hypericum might have to do with what I'm about to talk to you about. Um but so basically I've had this like weird feeling, this kind of twitchy, almost a numbness feeling in some of my toes and my left foot for maybe like two weeks or a little bit more than two weeks. And I used to get eye twitches a few years ago before I started drinking nourishing herbal infusions. And I had been traveling a little, so I thought maybe once I got back on my nourishing herbal infusions, it would um, stop feeling that way. And it hasn't. And today I woke up with a slight, and none of this is painful, with a very slight feeling of numbness kind of up my calf, like in a line. And then I had a, like a muscle in my quad early in the morning, like kind of pulsing very mildly with no pain. So just like, I'm wondering if it's, it's nerve related. And so then I'm thinking about hypericum or just if you had any thoughts on, on what might be going on with me. I don't. It's fascinating, though, um, and fortunately not terribly scary. Um, in other words, um, there's no terrible bad things that start out like that. Cool. Uh, about the worst would be that that maybe um, that could be a very early symptom of multiple sclerosis, but probably not. Multiple sclerosis tends to sneak up a little more. Hmm. And suddenly you're like dropping dishes and you don't even realize hmm. it. Um, so I'm kind of with you that, that if we're looking for something that might be going on, there m- might be um, that you're in a hot place and you're sweating more and needing to get more minerals at this point because the nerves, of course, are a, one of the biggest users of minerals hmm. called the nervous system, the hormonal system, and the immune system, the great braid. And they get the minerals first because they need the minerals. 
So if there's not enough minerals in our diet, in our drinks, then we're going to see it depending on ourselves and what our own proclivity is in our nervous system or our immune system or our hormone system. Hmm. And when Uh, there's really not enough minerals, we're going to see it everywhere, right? But this is just sounds like a kind of slight something. Um, Has it gotten worse? So I feel like it has, and then I also understand the power of my mind in taking something more seriously and maybe the obsession starting to make it feel worse. Um, I know, but it's so hard to get around, isn't it? (laughs) I've been been having lymphatic massage um, five days a week, and so the person who's doing this says, you know, well, are you feeling better? I say, well, no, actually, I need more pains. Oh, maybe we should stop it. Uh, well, I, I'm not sure that the massage is causing more pain or that the massage is waking up the nerves, and now I'm feeling the pain that was always there mm. that I didn't feel before. Mm. So then we just need to keep watching and be alert and stay with it. And in a loving way, without being, as you're suggesting, hyper-conscious about it, you know, Mm -hmm. checking in every five minutes on it, is not going to help. But checking in with yourself regularly, like if you check in every morning or every evening or however frequently you feel it appropriate so that you're following, tracking, seeing what's happened so that if it is getting worse, you can say, I need a pump. Mm-hmm. The other thing to do, if you're not a paranoid person, is to Kind of generally cast about and say, what's the worst thing that could be happening if this symptom is happening? I just read a touching story by a woman who'd been married for two years and her husband was a neurologist and he was having frequent, pretty bad headaches. And although he was only, you know, 28 and they certainly didn't think anything bad was going on. Since he was a neurologist, he knew that there's a faint possibility that that was a symptom of something really bad. And it turned out that, yeah, in fact, he had uh, the worst kind of of brain cancer, absolutely inoperable, killed him. Mm. So sometimes it's good to know what's the worst thing that this could be signaling so that you can take the next appropriate action if it's to take the next appropriate action. When he kept having the headaches, he went and he had an MRI. Mm-hmm. And they said, yeah, you have a glioblastoma very deep in your brain. It's inoperable. Enjoy the rest of your life. And sometimes that's the best we can do. 
Yeah. Would it sense to begin a, a bit of a more intense relationship with hypericum tincture and, and take it multiple times a day? It wouldn't harm you. And you would know soon enough if it was helping. Okay. I would, given that this is something that's been going on for a while, I would, if I was working with it, I would probably take a dose every 15 to 20 minutes for a couple of hours and see if that made any difference. And if it did, I'd keep doing that. A dropper full? Yeah. Okay. Are there any sort of deficiencies that that you know of in any sort that can cause like that sort of like numbness? Yes, deficiency, deficiency of vitamin Besides B12 vitamin. common among vegans and people who eat raw food. Mm, I'm not vegan, yeah. Good. Well, I will keep an eye on it, and thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for calling. Green blessings. Good night. All right. And there are six callers that have pressed one to raise their hand. Our next caller has dialed in from the 310 area code. From the 310, you are live with Susan. Hello, Susan. Hi. What's up tonight? Hi. So um, I'll try to be as brief as possible. I'm just coming off of... um, being quite uh, sick with COVID, um, but I'm finally feeling a lot better today, which I'm grateful for. Um, but I have two main questions. One is I wanted to propose to you um, something that happened during COVID and how I handled it. And I wanted to just check in and see how that sounds to you and if you think you would have done something similar or you might have a, another idea of how my, I might may have handled it. Um, and then I have um, another another question um, as well. Um, so uh, specifically, it w- it's related to um, a, an incredibly painful sore throat um, that, that came up just uh, a few days ago. Um, and uh, people have been telling me um, ever since I came down with COVID to take um, Pax, Paxlovid, I think is what it's called, which I didn't wa- I didn't really want to take um, any pharmaceuticals. I wanted to, to just to, just to ride it out. Um, it was my first time having COVID. Um, it was pretty intense. The symptoms were, um, yeah. I mean, I was pretty down and out for you know for the last week, but um, um, but it felt it, you know it felt okay. Um, I was drinking you know I was drinking lots of uh, warmed infusion with honey. Um, and, you know, it, it was sort of progressing and moving through. Um, but then uh, several days ago, I came down with a sore throat that uh, it's kind of hard to compare anything. The, the amount of pain in my throat was just extraordinary, um, extraordinarily sharp. And um, I, at a few points, perhaps considered going to like an urgent care or an ER, um, just because of, I, yeah, just because of the level of pain. Um, and so at some point I had this thought, 
of this could be strep throat. Um, and so, and I had also heard of people like being prescribed antibiotics for some reason for COVID. And that doesn't quite make sense to me since COVID's a viral infection. But in any case, I, I just had this thought. Um, I woke up in the middle of the night uh, a couple nights ago um, in a lot of pain and I thought echinacea. <clears throat> so I began taking, um, so I think it was like 4 a.m. I started taking echinacea um, every hour, you know, I, I, I dosed it according to my, my body weight, um, as, as you have um, shared in the past with us. Um, and so I was taking one dose um, every hour. I was, like, setting my alarm, waking up at night. And I, so I took um, a dose of echinacea hourly um, throughout the day yesterday up until about seven o'clock in the evening, at which time I realized, I, look at, I looked at how much echinacea I had left, and I realized that it was not going to sustain, it, I, I couldn't continue on the hourly amount. And so I thought, well, I'm not, I was actually feeling quite a bit better. Um, and, uh, you know, it was still there. There was still, um, the, the pain was, was, you know, it was probably around like a six or seven, which it had been pr probably at like a, a 10. So I thought, okay, well, it seems to be improving, and I have this limited amount. What I'm going to do is I'm going to do, you know, every two hours for a couple times, and then I'm going to sort of stretch it to, like, every three hours. Um, but then last night I, w I was waking up before my alarm and in a lot of pain, and so I kind of just took it when my body needed it and when, when I was woken up by the pain. Um, and then this morning <clears throat> when I woke up, I, no I realized I just had, like, one dose left. And I remembered, um, and again, this is kind of where I want to check in with you about, um, I remember at some point you sharing with a caller uh, uh, that if they had a very small amount of a tincture left and they didn't have access to more, um, that they could um, dilute it kind of in the same um, aspect of, I, I think, if, I, if I'm remembering correctly, I could have it wrong, that it was kind of like homeopathy in a way, perhaps. Um, but in that you would still be getting it a regular dose, even though it would be a much less amount. Um, so I thought, well, at least I'll be able to continually be taking this echinacea throughout the day today. Um, the good news is I actually um, started to feel significantly better. And I'm, I've been continuing to do, like, the, the diluted echinacea um, every hour, but I kind of I'll forget because, like, I'm like, wow, my throat's feeling so much better. Um, so... <clears throat> At this point, I actually I, I'm, I'm, I'm awaiting a new echinacea shipment, um, but it may be arriving. It may take two to three days to arrive, but I'm feeling pretty good. I'm thinking that this, fingers crossed, um, whatever was going on with my throat is on its way out. Um, right. I'm, I've also been, yeah. <laughs> um, one change so that I also occurred was that. I do something slightly yeah. different than that. Okay. I bring all the tincture from the bottle. And then I pour boiling water into the bottle with the herb still in the bottle, right? So if a bottle of echinacea tincture, there's herb and tincture in there. All the tincture out, and you have herb still in the bottle. And now you pour boiling water in it and make what I call tincture tea. Right. And the boiling... I've heard you talk about this. Yeah. yeah, the boiling water really pulls 
a lot more out. You can't take it by the dropper full. You have to take it by the, like, quarter cup full. Right. Okay. So I but, actually had bought this tincture. Um, so I didn't, it didn't have the herb. Yeah, it was already strained. So it yeah. wasn't an echinacea tincture that you had made, so it was just... Right. So then I would not have diluted it, but I'm glad it worked for you. I was talking about a specific thing um, that a homeopath had done in Africa with an herb that, interestingly enough, is used the same homeopathically as herbally. In most instances, that is not true. Okay. In most instances, a homeopathic remedy is the opposite of what the herbal remedy is. Mm. Okay. So we give poison ivy homeopathically to someone who has itchy skin. Mm-hmm. Right. That's so right. It, so it's, you know, I think you're thinking about, let me, like, water it down so that it, I can still have the... <laughs> taste of the echinacea and tell my body it still needs to do this. I think that's good. I think that's smart. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I was holding it in my mouth, you know, for longer yes. so that my body would get the Yes, signal. your body would really be high, high, yes, yes. I do the same yeah. thing with, mm -hmm. with the herbs, the tinctures that I take for pain relief in the morning because I, I take just one or two drops. And I put them in my palm and then I suck them into my mouth and I really taste them. And I hold them in my mouth sometimes for several minutes mm -hmm. so that I can take tiny amounts of that, that I'm really saying, this is it. This is the pain relief. Lean on, lean on this. There's not going to be more. And I think yeah. you're right. I think, I think to me, that kind of pain, like your throat is broken glass, is strep throat. Mm -hmm. It's a very particular, um, really horrifying pain. Mm -hmm. So I think, yeah, you like did, <laughs> I think you did really well to take the echinacea, and I hear that you have some more coming in, and now I think, oh, you're just getting tincture. Buy some echinacea augustifolia root. A pound mm -hmm of Echinacea augustifolia root, a whole pound, which will make a gallon of tincture, right? A gallon, mm -hmm. 128 ounces of tincture is under $50. Yeah. It's really worth making your own. And do it now so that you'll have it mm -hmm. the next time you need it and you won't have to worry about running out. And you don't have to turn the whole pound into tincture at once. I have a genacea root in my cupboard that I just made tincture from that's over 20 years old. It's a root. It lasts. Nothing's mm -hmm. going away. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm so glad that you and Echinacea are becoming friends. Yes, yes. Yes, this is my first experience using it, so... Um... It's been really wonderful, um, and I feel very grateful for it. And I'm glad to hear that you're getting better. Mm-hmm. 
true blessings. Thanks for sharing with us. Good night. Thank you so much, Susan. Good night. All right. And our next caller has dialed in from the 202 area code. From the 202, you are live with Susan. Um, I think that's me. Hi, Susan. This is Cynthia. Hi. Hi. I am going to be having um, a knee replacement surgery in about a month, and I was really wanting your thoughts about the knee, about um, preparing for surgery, about post-surgery, and just your, your thoughts in general because I want to go into this as well as I can. Good for you. More and more, the even the medical profession is coming to understand that preoperative physical therapy is as useful as postoperative physical therapy and perhaps might even I've, be I've been doing it for about a year better so get yourself into good shape so that you can deal with being a, a, limping around for a while and do things now that you can do when you have that knee replacement, for instance. I've seen a couple of people who are really unhappy with their knee replacement because the physical activity they were doing to get in shape, they couldn't do anymore once they had the knee replacement because it required very deep knee bends or needling. Hmm. One was snowboarding and had to stop snowboarding after the knee replacement. I don't have to and worry so about unha- that. And so I was unhappy with that. So Tai Chi, yoga, right, those are weight-bearing exercise that you can do with a knee replacement, especially yoga because yoga is so happy to work around anything. Hmm. Okay. Drink your nourishing herbal infusions. You're probably already doing that, too. Yes. And um, then other than that, I would say um, mushrooms, And seaweed are always wonderful additions to the diet. And any way that we can eat a little more mushrooms or a little more seaweed always benefits us. I am suspecting that you probably already have a first aid kit to use after the surgery and that you probably have remedies for yourself set up for when you get home. Uh, I will have some set up, yes. Yeah. Is it an outpatient procedure and you go right home or do you stay in the hospital? I'm going to stay in the hospital overnight. You might want to be taking some echinacea tincture before you go in for the surgery. I wouldn't one of the have things, thought of that. One of the things that echinacea tincture does, it primes the immune system to make more macrophages. And macrophages eat bad bacteria. 
So it's safe to take echinacea even if you don't have an infection. Because then if you do get around bad bacteria, you're ready for it. How how much in advance of the surgery should I begin that? <clears throat> At least four days before the surgery. And taking a drop for every two pounds of body weight. And there's about 25 drops in a dropper full, which, of course, is really only half a dropper full. It's one of those herbal things, right? We say a dropper full, even though, of course, the dropper isn't full. That's why we only use one L, to indicate it's only half full, we tease. Mm-hmm. So there's about 25 drops in a dropper full, one L. So if you weigh 150 pounds, that's 75 drops of three droppers full. And twice a day, if we're using it in a protective way, is a good rhythm to set up. You can increase that rhythm if there is any kind of, you know, bacterial scare or possibility or when you're in the hospital because... Hospitals are breeding grounds for very bad bacteria, right? I talk about the first hyperbaric treatment that I went to, and it's not even in the hospital. It's in a separate building. And I walked out of the dressing room barefoot, and everybody shouted at me, go put your shoes on. And I said, oh, God, you know, my shoes are dirtier than my feet. And they said, oh, God, it's not about your feet. We don't care about what's on your feet. We care about what's on the floor. And you're going to take those feet into the hyperbaric chamber, and we don't want what's on our floor in the hyperbaric chamber. Go get your shoes. Hmm. And I thought, whoa. And they said, yeah, just treat this floor like it's lethal, okay? I'm like, my gosh, isn't it mopped? They said, yes, it's mopped, but don't trust that. I'm listening. Hmm. I'm listening. These are people who work in those environments. My friend Patch Adams just gave up his leg. He goes to be with people in hospitals. It's his life work. He's a clown. He's a doctor clown. And he goes to really, really desperate places and clowns around with people. He got MRSA. And after two years and three operations, he said, cut my leg off. So echinacea is a good thing to have on your side and to take with you to the hospital. And maybe take more while you're in the hospital because there's bad bacteria there. You've heard me complain about the fact that they had me on IV antibiotics when I was in the hospital. And then, you know, they pulled the the IV out and sent me home. And I said, you send me home with antibiotics? And they said, no, you'll be fine. You're not in the hospital anymore. It's the hospital we're frightened of. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, thank, thank you very much. You are welcome. Thanks for asking. You're going to do just fine. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Green blessings. All right. And we have four callers that have their hand raised. Our next caller is dialed in from the 207 area code. From the 207, you are live with Susan. 
Hi, thank you so much for taking my phone call, Susan. I really appreciate your time and really appreciate you. I just have immersed myself over the last six years and you've helped me so much. And um, I'm hoping that we can talk about gut health. Um, Sure. Yeah, I've been working very hard to manage the symptoms of um, acute environmental illness. And um, I have um, a lot of genetic variations and um, I have... um, a really difficult time absorbing nutrients. And um, I wanted to talk, I just, I've been doing your um, nourishing um, herbal infusions for eight years. And if there was more time, I would love to share with you and your audience, but I'm not going to do it tonight of um, how it's changed my life. But, um, you know, in doing them, and I, I'm just constantly, I have my one core, but then I pulse something else um, because I can't drink enough um, and I um, I go to the bathroom a lot. I'm working with a practitioner who has been doing this for 30 years, helping people with environmental illness and I'm her second most sensitive person um, that she's had and um, she thinks I go to the bathroom because I have such a difficult time detoxing. Um, but I also told her that I'm just not holding my nutrients. And, um, the other day I, I accidentally, I, made... I, need, to, I need to interrupt you for a moment. Yes. We live in a closed system. The earth is a closed system. Mm-hmm. There cannot... A closed system means that everything here is recycled. The oxygen you're breathing is the oxygen the dinosaurs breathed. The carbon that you are made out of is the carbon that has been here for billions of years. This is a closed system. There are not new inputs coming in here, nor is there any way to get rid of anything in a closed system. Therefore, there cannot be any toxins. If there are toxins in a closed system, then the entire system shuts down. Given that this system has been going for about 5 billion years as a closed system, there cannot be toxins here. I am sorry that you're being led astray by someone who believes in toxins. I'm sorry that she thinks that you are detoxifying. I'm sorry that she thinks that going to the bathroom, I take it you mean number two. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is detoxifying. There's nothing that detoxifies. That's not. Uh, that's not what's I happening. What you're saying. I understand what you're saying. Definitely it's not what's happening. Yes. So, uh, I I, so I as far as I'm concerned, she's involved in a tradition. Yeah. Where you are supposed to cleanse, and cleanse and clean are code for damage and destroy. Um, actually, she doesn't recommend cleansing and cleaning. Um, she doesn't even recommend... It believes that you're detoxing. Um, just that I have a hard time um, getting rid of... Um, yeah, I know what you're saying. It is um, perplexing. Um, has nothing, your bowel movements have nothing to do with getting rid of anything. Okay. Okay. Nothing to do Definitely, with getting rid of My digestion is going way too fast, and I don't know how to slow it down. That, and that I agree with, absolutely. So let's talk about what slows it down. Okay. Tannins can slow digestion. Say that again, please. 
Tannins, T-A-N-N-I-N-S, tannins. Okay. Tannins make beverages dark. Black tea has tannins. Okay. Coffee has tannins. Comfrey has tannins. Comfrey has a lot of tannins. I love Comfrey, and thank you so much for that conference. Like, thank you so much. Yes. I I am so happy to hear that you are working with Comfrey because I think Comfrey can be a really good ally for you. And what's really cool is that it's popping up everywhere around me, and I just love when I have that connection. So, yeah. Oh, that's so wonderful. You said that it's hard for you to, to drink enough. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing that you could do is to have a small amount of comfort more regularly. Yeah. So you have okay. your regular quart of infusion, and then an extra time a week you make a quart of comfrey infusion, which is just your backup. When you finish the quart, then you have some comfrey. Yeah. Um, and that's what I have been doing, even with stinging nettles, because my adren- I have a hard time with my adrenals. And Oh, I hear you. And um, are, you re- are you re-brewing the comfrey? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then using it. And you're re-brewing the linden. Are you oh, working yeah. at all with marshmallow root? That's what I need to talk to you about. I just started working with um, a little, a quarter of a teaspoon of licorice, um, slippery elm, but I don't think it's enough. You know, I need to make. The other day I made linden way too strong, and it was like so helpful that tonight I just made um, stinging nettles, and I did an ounce and a quarter um, to really just kind of try to boot me into the right I direction. I hear you. I hear you. You're probably better off drinking a little more infusion. In other words, make half a gallon instead of a quart. You don't necessarily have to drink all of that in one day. You may remember back in like, I don't know, fifth or sixth grade um, where you were in some kind of science class where you saturated water. You may have saturated it with salt until the water couldn't hold anymore. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So uh, you can't get more minerals by putting more herb in. Okay. Right. So at an ounce to a quart, you've gotten the about the level of minerals that the water can hold onto and that your body can use. So make more infusion. Drink a quart and a half. It's okay. I have to drink, I now have to drink more than a quart a day because they took the lower half of my descending colon and my rectum. And those are the parts that dehydrate the feces and circulate the fluid back to your body. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. So the part of me that's supposed to be circulating my fluid back don't work. That isn't there. Mm-hmm. And I wish, actually wish they had like kind of mentioned that to me because it took me some months to figure out mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that my fluid needs are higher now and to give myself that so you know that your fluid needs are higher. And what we want to do is we want to slow down your gut. Okay. There are several reasons for things going through your gut quickly, and they have nothing to do with detoxification. Okay. They generally have to 
do with how much energy there is in the food and how much energy you are willing to tolerate. You are the second most sensitive person, which says to me that you are not willing or able to tolerate very much energy. Um, that's true. I am so sensitive to everything. Um, I'm so you need yeah. to eat food that isn't so high quality. Oh, and that's all I've been doing is just high quality. Um, I, you are actually going at it wrong because your body is too sensitive for that high quality. Okay. Okay. So now I don't understand what would be low quality. Like How um, about... Uh, Uncle Ben's in-flight rice. Okay. Now, it's not noxious, is it? There's nothing wrong with the chemicals in it. It's a low-quality food. Okay. But that's where your body can start. Okay. Often when there's sensitivity like this, Mm -hmm. odd things can be very useful. Go to a supermarket and just walk around and let your body say, I would like some of that or I would like some of that. And don't criticize. Just get it. Okay. All right. If your body, if your body says that chocolate ice cream, I want that. It. Uh huh. Uh huh. See what your body wants right now. It's not going to be for the rest of your life. Okay. When I was enduring radiation treatment, mm-hmm. I was having a bowel movement approximately every four minutes. Hmm. Okay. And they suggested the BRAC diet. B-R-A-C-K? B-R-A-T, BRAT. Okay, BRAT. White bread, B, white rice, R, applesauce. Love applesauce. And tea for the tannins. Okay. And could you? It's not me. a good. It's not a good quality diet. White bread, white rice, applesauce, and tea. Yeah. But it slows your gut way down. Okay. Interesting. I look forward to trying that. Um, and isn't that what you want? People say, "Oh gosh, I eat all this white bread and I'm so constipated." And we're like, "Ah, uh-huh, good. Give me more white bread." Yeah. Okay. And that doesn't mean you can't get. Organic white bread, it's organic white bread. I'm not saying it has to be like Wonder Bread. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But it has to be, you have to back off on the whole grains. Too much for you, too, too exciting. Okay. I'm and, a vegetable enthusiast, and then I just have a clean piece of organic protein. Um, and so, and I, I do a huge... My my favorite meal is breakfast where I, I take bone broth, um, but I can see where you're saying 
the energetics of what my breakfast is, is is very, very high. It's my favorite meal. Um, I cook I it for an totally hour. I understand. And I would say, yes, have some bone broth, but no more than two ounces. Okay. 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 And yeah. then, you know, really find out what kind of what some people would call comfort food. Mm. Okay. Right? Macaroni yeah. and cheese. Yeah. Yeah. Make it really simple and easy for yourself. Slippery elm, good. Slippery elm mixed with honey, better. Um, Lots of slippery elm. Lots and lots and lots of slippery elm. You know, I have slippery elm shredded bark, and I I put a bunch in a uh, tea ball. And then I, but should I do an infusion with slippery elm? I prefer powdered slippery elm mixed with honey. Yeah, and makes a slippery elm ball. And just and make some brown balls and let just put one in your cheek and let it dissolve. Okay. And do that hourly. Okay. And what do you if, think about I think I think if you're gonna use the shredded slippery elm, don't bother to put it in a tea ball, just throw it in a pot. Okay. And make what most people call slippery elm gruel, which is you boil the slippery elm bark and then you strain off the glop. Okay. And then leave the slippery elm bark in the pan and put more water on it. Okay. And it'll just keep glopping up and glopping up and glopping up. And you just leave it sit in cold water and it'll start glopping up after the initial boil. Okay. If you can tolerate the glop. And if you can't tolerate the glop, then the powder is nice. Do you, do you, are you, so I'm eating the glop? Yes. Or am I, Okay, I, I'm yeah. hey, I'm down for it with a little bit of honey. That sounds delicious. Good, good, no problem. No problem. Um, and I, what I prefer is marshmallow root infusion, an ounce of marshmallow root in a quart jar, and the first time I do hot water and let that sit overnight, and then I drink that, and then the next two times I do cold water. Okay. Okay. So I reuse it using more. So the first time, I might use half a cup a day to a cup a day Mm -hmm. or more as I need it. And then when I brew it with the cold water, I use about the same amount. And then when I do the second cold water brew, I use about twice as much at a time. Okay. Okay. And that'll be pretty pretty obvious to you. You'll see it's more dilute and you need to use more of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, What about licorice root? It's not an herb that I've ever been able to get friendly with. Okay. I know that people like it a lot. I don't. Okay. I don't really don't like it in any way at all. I do not like the smell of it very much. I personally do not like the taste of it. But then again, I have odd relationship with smells and tastes. Neither do I like bananas, which many people adore. Yeah, no, and I can't grow licorice root. Okay. So I t- 
tend to think that everything works. And that since everything works, it behooves me to use things that will work that are closer to me that if supply chain should be interrupted like it was during COVID, that I can get for myself. I'm not saying licorice won't work. It will work, but then if you couldn't get it, eek. Okay. I often tell the story of working in a health food store, and the proprietor wanted me to sell every woman who came in there Dong Kwai, which I did. I had no objection to doing as I was asked to do, sell Dong Kwai. And then the Food and Drug Administration said, you can't bring Chinese herbs into the United States. And I had a lot of women really angry at me because they couldn't get their Dong Kwai. Mm. And I mm. said, what have you done? Mm-hmm. What have you done? You've you've allowed yourself to be sent off to the end of a branch, and now somebody has cut that branch off. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. found myself on the ground, and I decided I would stay there. And okay. that I would stop climbing trees. <laughs> okay. So, okay. I don't like licorice. Not okay. because licorice has anything wrong with it. It's a lovely herb. And as I said, there are many people who adore licorice. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Is there anything else that comes to mind? Or I'll start with those and maybe give you a call. I, yeah, I think, I think you'll get really good results with those. And okay. But especially, I want you to tone it down. Yeah, that makes sense now. It makes absolute perfect sense. Really need to turn it way, way down. Treat your body and your digestive system like they're a premature infant. Okay. Really sweet, right? Mm -hmm. Really soft, really bland. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Certainly, you know, no seasonings, no pepper. Okay.
I took quite. A, I actually took you know a full drop of dropper full like every. Forget what you had said. Um, two hours, three hours, something like that. I was really mm-hmm. pounding yeah. the St. John's Wort, and um, I got. I spiked. A, uh, I got a bad headache and I spiked a fever, and I was really miserable. But I was kind of excited because I felt like. St. Joan was fighting the virus, and the virus was struggling, and this was giving me this terrible headache. <laughs> but um, mm. interesting plot. Yeah. But I didn't. But I didn't keep going with it because I wasn't sure what I what I had and whether I was on the right track. Um, mm-hmm. And I think I wasn't. Maybe um, I was a little bit scared because I didn't know what it was. Um, so I got to see my my and, doctor, and now you know. Now I know what it is, and I'd like to know uh, what I can do for it. Um, the the doctor did prescribe a, an antiviral, and I um, I like to avoid prescription medication. Although I did start taking that because I was I didn't know what else I didn't know what I should be doing. I wish I was more prepared for that. Um, I didn't know if just taking hypericum um, is an antiviral. Yeah, well, well, that's what I told my doctor. I said, uh, you know, I understand that hypericum is a antiviral, and um, she said, well, I don't think that's going to do much, and you know, you, I'm, you really need to take this antiviral. And I, I hate to said, admit to being bullied. She said that. Based on what I don't know. On? I let her. I let her sort of cow me. Um, she said but, that based on. Based on probably not much at all. I, I think of her as being um, somebody who considers other modalities, but she she definitely didn't uh, know anything about doesn't. that one. She doesn't. No, not clearly not. That. You did not give her enough information. I didn't give her enough information. She thinks you mean capsules. No, I told her tincture. I said I you said I had. You told her you were taking tincture of the fresh flower. Then she then. Again, she, she really does not know what you're talking about. Yeah, she just think, really doesn't right. know what you're talking about. That is all I can I say. I think you're right. Do, and can I after treat... the Hypericum conference next May, you'll have someplace to point her. Uh, <laughs> that's but, a great idea. But can I treat? But that's what I say to pe- when I, you know, when I said to people at Memorial Sloan Kettering, "Why are you giving me opioids when there's right. cannabinoids you can give me?" And they said, we don't have enough medical evidence. Mm. And I said, well, no, then I don't agree with your reason. Thank you. Right. I mean, there certainly are a lot of studies that they could look at. That they could look at, exactly. That's what you mean, you don't have enough evidence. There's plenty of evidence. Come on. And the same yeah. thing, you know, with this doctor's, well, I don't think that will be enough. What yeah. I then say is based on what? Mm. What is your statement based on? What is the mm. basis of yes. You are basing your suggestion that I take this drug antiviral on studies you have read and perhaps other patients you have had. What are you basing your suggestion that I not take Hypericum. And I'll tell you what I would really like. I would really love it if you would take the antiviral and the Hypericum. Oh, I was hoping you were going to say that. Because you know that there's a story out there that Hypericum makes your drugs ineffective. It makes them ineffective? 
Yes. Oh, you, you mean I, a false story? I believe it's a false story. Oh, yeah, I didn't understand what you meant. Right. This is why Hypericum is banned in France. Because it supposedly it interacts with drugs and makes them not work. Hmm. I have seen stories about, I was taking Hypericum and I got pregnant and made my birth control pills not work. Hmm. I read a story about um, a surgeon who did heart transplants and suggested that his patients take hypericum capsules because Mm. depression, really bad depression, often goes along with heart transplants. Mm. And many of them died or got sick because they took hypericum and their anti-rejection drugs didn't work. I was going to say, so different. So different. So this is one of the things that I would like to establish. We're looking, you know, for people to say, I took Hypericum tincture and I took this drug and the drug Mm. worked. Mm -hmm. I'd be happy to be a test subject because I think (laughs) Hypericum... It's an ally. It's, it's definitely an ally of mine. I tried yeah. your when when I heard that you used um hypericum oil as a as a sunscreen you know, having heard the stories that you can't I mean that it's, you know, gonna make your skin burn or whatever, I I I you know, I listened to you, and I thought I trust her more than I trust those stories. So I tried it, and I had the same experience as your earlier caller. I am very fair-skinned, and I, I never burn. If I put the hypericum oil on, I do not burn. And so, you know, I was also kind of wondering if um, if that effect worked if you're taking hypericum internally. If if you were taking a lot of hypericum, like I was during the week, internally, and you had this consequent sun uh, sensitivity, would putting hypericum oil on your skin protect you from that level of sun sensitivity? Or is the sun sensitivity not a real thing? Uh, The only time I have heard anybody have that is somebody taking it in capsule form. Oh, okay. So the tincture doesn't cause that. Or tea form. What's that? Or or as a tea. Hypericum is used as a tea throughout Europe. Oh, I've never done that. Yeah, I we generally I don't. You say. I hardly <laughs> ever mention it as a tea. Just so not yeah. used as a tea in America, but in Europe it's used a lot as a tea, and it's in a lot of tea blends. And huh. the dried flower, whether it's in a capsule or it's brewed up as a tea, does seem to cause some sun sensitivity. I've never seen the tincture, no matter how lavish the doses, do that. Have people in France been drinking that um, tea for, like, centuries? Do they have some reason why they particularly want to drink Hypericum tea? They don't use it as a simple. They mix it with other herbs. So it's for the flavor. It's it's a common plant. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I wonder if they have some folk 
you know, position, you know, around it. And, hey, this is what I'm hoping for the Hypericum conference. If somebody gets mm, interested in these particular yeah. things, what's going on in France? You know, Eagle Fund got interested enough that she went to England and reported to us from England about country <laughs> research in England. Which That's very cool. Research, right? It's like, would you please explain to me why a midwife in Germany will lose her license if she suggests mm. that a lactating woman use Hypericum oil on her sore nipples? Do they really object to that? She <laughs> loses her life. Yes. Wow, that's crazy. Wow. <laughs> Imagine. So you know, you know, are we? Do we really seriously think that high, infused hypericum oil and olive oil is going to poison a baby? Really? Very strange. You know, I, I, I and I don't know. And that's why I asked Eagle, and Eagle Fong mm. happened to know. I had all these questions. I was, Eagle Fong and I were chatting, and I said, all right, tell me this, tell me this, tell me this, because she likes this kind mm. of thing, too. And these are the kinds of things that I like to, you know, people to find out for the conferences. Yeah. Find out and tell us all, how did this come to be? Why do we think this? Why mm. is this story the one that we're being fed. Why Why does this doctor not think it will work? Yeah. What What has led her? Has she had experiences with it? Or does she just, in general, think herbs don't work very well? I wonder. I feel like she's yeah. discouraged me in the past from using herbs. Not that it works to discourage me, mm-hmm. but... <laughs> <laughs> so if I'm to use Hypericum uh, tincture along with the antiviral that I'm taking, what dosage would you recommend? I, you know, you don't have, have to take a whole lot of it. Um, <clears throat> again, what I would do is I would see what kind of effect I think the drug is having and what kind of effect I want from the hypericum. And for me, perhaps more to the point, is put hypericum oil on any place that hurts. To put on it. I, I did that once um, during the weekend. I... I, I I couldn't really say if it made a, a huge difference, but just petting it on my uh, sore area, it wasn't just the, that my back was killing me, but that my skin hurt. Yeah. There was just this whole area of skin hurt. So rubbing it on made me happy. Wet oil. You don't have to rub it. Don't use an ointment. No, I was using just the oil, but I, it felt nice. You have to rub it in. Just put it on. That's all. Hmm. Spread it across your skin. Mm. Because, yes, any touch can hurt when you have shingles. And you try to use an ointment, it can blow your skin off. So just the oil, a light coat of the oil, just as softly as you can put put it on there. Mm. But it will go into the nerve endings and kill the Mm. virus and the nerve endings. That's, so you're getting kind of a tincture attack, right? The tincture yeah. from the inside and the oil from the outside. Okay, I'll definitely do that. Oil Alrighty. Skin. Um, would echinacea help me with uh, the virus? No, it's not an antiviral. Okay, so I will... But hyper- uh, oh. And it's really an excellent antiviral. It can even kill HIV. Can Can you... Can you suggest a a dosage to try? I I think I would maybe. use a drop soul and 
do that, you know, at least a couple of times a day. And if right. that doesn't seem like enough, do more. I will try that. Can you, can you, I'm sorry to take up so much time, but I w- okay. just wanted to ask about herbal pain relief because mm-hmm. I, I think of, uh, that not being a, a you know an instant result of, of herb taking, I think of herbs as being a slower working thing. But I I don't like taking um, Tylenol or Advil, and I um, I was having some I extreme find, pain, I, although I, I feel better. I find that both Tylenol and Advil take at least two hours to work, and most herbs work within thirty minutes. What what, what herbs do you use for it? For for, for for pain like for that. Pain. For nerve pain. Hypericum yeah. relieves nerve pain. Skullcap relieves nerve pain. Skullcap. Okay. Skullcap. Um, California poppy. Oh yes. Okay, I'll try that again. Cannabis in all some. of its cannabis in all of its many forms. I I have a problem with with cannabis as I've gotten older. I, I for some reason any feeling of of dizziness makes me ill, and I'm so I'm I know that some. Um, the people cannabis that I've talked to, and certainly my experience is that if you're using cannabis to relieve pain, it's not going to make you dizzy. It's not going to make you high. It's going to relieve pain. And if you're taking enough to make you dizzy, you're taking too much. And you certainly shouldn't be eating it. Yeah, really. Um, okay, well, that's wonderful. Thank smoke you so much. It. Thank you for your time. Smoke Sorry? It. You know, smoke it, rub it on, but don't be eating it. The last, the last time I was making some cannabis butter for my mother, um, yeah, see, this who had is a pain, problem. but it's I a licked, big I, problem if, with yeah, it. I licked the spoon it's, and I got so sick. Of course you did. It's not designed to be eaten. It's really not. Hmm. Hmm. I did it's not be know that. smoked or the oil to be rubbed in where you have pain. I'm going to try the oil. You Thank will you. get instant relief. Oh, wonderful. I would love that. Between the hypericum oil and the cannabis you're going to be having a great time. <laughs> Thank you very much. You're I welcome. appreciate it. Big blessings. And okay. a beautiful song. Call us back. Call back in two weeks and tell us what's happening, okay? Thank you. I will. All right, good. Be Bye-bye. Well. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Green blessings. You too. All right. There are three callers in the queue. And there the are three callers, and we have, what, three minutes? Four minutes? Three. Let, let me yep. let me listen to 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 one of them, and we'll see what we can do. Great. From the two five two, you are live with Susan from the two five two. Hi. Yes, Susan. wonderful. I'm Cut right to the chase. Tell me what's up. All right, milk. I am my first year with sheep, and I have a lot of milk coming in every day. Can you take this last couple of minutes and talk about how you're handling the abundance of milk? Oh, yes, we make yogurt and we make cheese. Okay. So since I I have refrigeration, I bring the milk into the house, I strain it through a filter, and I refrigerate it until I have enough to make a cheese. My cheese pot holds five gallons. So I put not quite five gallons of milk into my pot because I want some room for my culture, which is way from the previous cheese. And if you don't have a previous cheese, then you can start by using yogurt, any yogurt that you have as a culture. And I like to add, if I'm using yogurt, I add a cup or two of yogurt to about five gallons of milk. If I'm using whey, I will add, depending on the milk and the whey and how rich my whey is, sometimes I get really good whey, I might add up to three quarts of whey. 
and it'll make different cheeses depending on how much whey I add to it. I heat my milk up to the temperature that we like for the rennet that we have. That's going to be something you're going to need to experiment with a little bit to decide how firm a cheese you want. And every bit of what you're doing is going to change the final cheese. When they want to make a specific cheese that tastes the same every time you get it, they have to control the acidity of the milk. So they measure the acidity of the milk and then add a base or an acid to bring it to the acidity that they want. They then add a precise amount of rennet at a precise temperature, which is to a tenth of a degree, and stir it for a precise amount of time. I'm not that precise. It's really okay with me if my cheese varies from one batch to the other. It's okay if this one's a little saltier, that one's a little denser, this one's a little crumblier, or that one's a little softer. It's fine by me. So I don't measure the acidity of my milk. I just figure, you know, it's about the same. But if I wanted it to be more acid, like if it was all fresh milk and I wanted it to be more acid, I'd add more whey because the whey is pretty acid. And if it was older milk, which is going to be more acidic, I would add less whey because the whey is acidic. And I, we stir for 60 seconds. Again, in a professional cheese-making um, thing, there's probably a robot which is stirring that cheese for a precise amount of time, given exactly how much rennet was added. And as I said, we add, um, I think at this point we're using nine or ten drops of rennet from American cheese-making supply per gallon of milk, and then another nine or ten drops for the pot. So you see, even there, I'm not being that strict or that accurate. Uh, a little, you know, it, the temperature is going to make a big difference. A degree of temperature will make a very big difference in the finished cheese. So play around with that. Play around with how much rennet, what temperature, and how long you stir it. And then there's going to be, I like to call it a mechanical process that is going to cause the proteins to bind together into a lump of curd and to separate out from the liquid part of the milk, which is the whey. Depending on the heat of your milk, the amount of time you've stirred, how acidic your milk is, and how much rennet you've added, that process can take anywhere from a few seconds to up to an hour. So again, this is going to be something that you're going to... Um, experiment with. Is this something, you know, that you want to do so that you want to, like, get in the kitchen, do your cheese, and hang, have it hanging up and walk out of the kitchen? Or is this something you want to, like, be coming back and forth? Do a little, go do something else, come back, do something with the cheese, go do something else, right? Both styles work, depending on what works best for you. Once my cheese is set, and what I have then is five gallons of solid milk, it's not yet curds and whey. It's like one big pot full of white jello. And just like in those commercials for the memory foam, you can put your hand on the top of it, and it will take the imprint of your hand. You can take your hand away, and it will fill with whey. Now we must cut the curd. You're right. The size that you cut the curd is going to make a difference in the finished cheese. 
I like to cut a piece of curd about an inch and a half to two inches square. I take a long knife, cut down through the pot in two directions, making a grid. In a professional cheese-making operation, there is like a wire thing. I think of it as a piano wire thing. Pulls through to make the third cut, but of course you can't do that in the bottom of the stove. So we just make slanty-wise cuts. And gee golly, I don't have actually precise cubes. So again, I'm doing it at home. I'm not making cheese professionally. That's okay. That means that how I cut it is going to have an effect on the finished cheese, and every one of my cheeses is going to be different. I'm with it. It's okay by me. And at this point... Um, I know that I can cut it because I have gotten to clean break. And you'll want to, like, go on YouTube or get a book and see what clean break is. You literally stick your finger in the milk and pull it up. And if it breaks cleanly over your finger, it's called clean break. And if it sticks to your finger, it's soft break, and you need to let it sit longer. And now that we've cut the curd, the whey will start to come out of the curd. And, again, you have the options here. I just let it settle and let the curd settle down to the bottom and then gradually pour the whey off because it's okay for me to go back and forth in and out of the kitchen doing other things. If you really want, like, the whey out right then and get it done, you can add a wee bit of heat to it, and that will cause the curd to coagulate more and fall more quickly to the bottom of the pot. If you really do that and keep cutting the curd, then you're actually cheddaring the cheese. Oh, that's another kind of cheese. Isn't it amazing that all of the thousands of different kinds of cheese worldwide are all made from milk that's been soured? Hmm. Cut the curd, separate the whey, pour the whey into buckets, save some I save. The last of it I save, the last whey, which is going to be the thickest, richest whey, I save for the next batch my culture. The rest of it I dilute and give to the plants, give to the goats, or pour in my compost pile. Now I break the curd up into small cauliflower-like pieces, add salt to it if I want any seasoning, fresh garlic, fresh chives, anything at all that I want to put in there. I put it in at this point, stir it together. I put it into a 100% cotton, organic, unfolded cotton diaper and tie it up, hang it up, and let the whey drip out. And within 24 to 36 hours, I have a cheese. Thank goodness this is recorded so you can go back and listen. Green blessing. Okay. I will. I want to welcome our guest and thank Carla for giving four minutes of her time to the cheese. Carla Brown is a gifted laugh professional. She's been passionately sharing her playful and effervescent style of laughter and joy since 2009. Carla H. Brown has been supporting students, clients, and audiences worldwide to release stress and embrace health and aliveness through laughter yoga. From her 30-year background in natural health, women's empowerment, movement, and the healing arts, Carla H. Brown uses the transformative power of laughter yoga to integrate mind, body, and spirit, bringing instant stress relief and reclaiming creativity while with problems and having fun. Her motivation comes from the desire to teach people to live from a habituated place of joy in the body instead of the habit of fear that comes with our worry and hush culture. Welcome to the show, Carla. (laughs) (laughs) 
recovering serious person, uh, recovering overthinker, and um, I was um, on a sort of a temporary, uh, temporary hiatus in Texas after living in California, and I found myself in a situation where my, I watched my mental health going downhill, and so I, I just looked online for some way to laugh, and I actually found a blog talk radio program. Uh, and I did it for 10 minutes. It was all about laughter yoga. I finished, and my mind said that was the absolute most ridiculous thing I've ever done. And my body said, thank God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and my whole day changed from that 10 minutes. And so the power of my body wanting to feel better and my ability to really be present with my body's desires took me on a journey of going deeper into laughter yoga. And um, it took about four years before my mind could really turn off and surrender fully to a full laughter session. And now I've been practicing since uh, 2009. And I'm a trainer and I teach others and I do all kinds of things with it. And it it has really completely changed my life. It's healed my stress levels, um, it's healed anxiety, uh, depression. It's, um, it helps me through um, losses, very deep losses. It helps move the energy, helps me to connect to the energy of grief and meet the energy of grief and move it through and transform it. It's helped me to breathe when I'm holding my breath because the pattern of anxiety lived in my body for so long. And every time I laugh, I'm breathing, right? So it's just been an empowering journey all the way. And um, really when I'm laughing by myself with others or when I'm teaching a class, it's really like a download. It's, it's something I came here to do. And um, no matter what I think about it, <laughs> it'll just happen. So I'm so grateful. <laughs> I first heard about the healing qualities of laughter from my From who? Okay. Chia, like the seed. Um, Yeah, Montauk. Chia. He's a uh, Taoist who lives actually near human cat skills and has a king center. And he actually had a book out on. you know, like, I don't know if he calls it healing yoga, and I know that that's your term, so I'm not going to use that. But I, being a, a yogi, I 
started it as healing yoga, and the instructions were to, you know, laugh for one minute before you go to sleep, and then laugh for two minutes before you go to sleep, and three yes. minutes. And this is harder than it sounds like, gang. Try it. Oh, yes. And then you were yes. to bring your laughter to your internal organs. You were to laugh from your liver and laugh from your heart and laugh from your pancreas. Is it really an amazing year of following his program of bringing every part of my body into the laughter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that now my reputation is ruined because my roommates say that I laugh in my sleep all night long. <laughs> I've been told I snore like I'm laughing. It sounds like laughing. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> yep. We should be roommates. Then they won't have to worry. <laughs> we'll laugh each other to sleep. <laughs> exactly. 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 <laughs> so I suspect that there are people out there who are kind of having the same mental difficulty that you did going, get serious. What? How on earth could laughter be anything other than a joke? Yeah, yeah, and I I have an immense amount of compassion for that because we have been trained that humor lives in our mind and that there is a decision that needs to be made about whether something is funny or not funny in order to have a physical sensation of laughter, right? And I feel like that's very limiting, and it's where we were, and I'm so glad we're progressing because with the practice of laughter yoga, we are actually practicing unconditional laughter, meaning we're doing laughter exercises, we're engaging the diaphragm, and we're breathing, and we're playing, and we're, you know, by, by laughing, we're stimulating our creativity. All of these things are, are in your book, I know. And so the, the point being that you can train your body in positive, upping, joyful ways, and even to laugh, to the minute you start laughing, the body recognizes, oh, we're doing this now. And the thing I love about it is it's a mindfulness practice. So it instantly stops the mind because you can't actually have a full belly, ridiculous laugh and also be thinking because the body has to put so much energy into laughing. And so it's a really profoundly powerful way to stop the mind. And as a meditator for like 30 years, when I started laughter, my laughter practice, I was just really struck by how I was able to stop my mind so completely after like 30 minutes of a laughter class that I could go into a deep, relaxing meditation because my body was like recovering, right? Because laughter in that way, when it's for sustained amounts of time, not only are you activating that diaphragm and jiggling into that parasympathetic nervous system and activating the vagus nerve, you're, you're breathing and you're exercising and your body just wants to rest after that. So it's this profound way to give yourself permission to stop thinking because really, you know, my experience being a once a professional thinker is that my worry and my concern and my even my fear about things that are going on in the world around me that I have zero control over are not going to do anything to benefit 
what's happening in the world, but they cause sometimes a crisis inside my system. Like your callers were talking about shingles and digestive issues. I've dealt with both of those in my body. And I feel like I was just, in the past, I was, was, I was full of anxiety since I was a child, you know, dealing with developmental trauma. Why unconsciously practice being afraid, being worried, being concerned? All of those things become habits in the body that the nervous system dutiful, dutifully says, oh, yes, of course, we're going to feel afraid right now because this is happening. No, yes, we are going to be aware and we're going to be connected and then we're going to leverage the power we have with the wisdom that we're already connected to and that all of the different modalities we need to know to keep us in our center. And then we are going to be present. We're going to connect. We're going to correct. We're going to do what we need to do for ourselves to nourish, to tonify, to empower, to balance so that we can take clear focused action towards the things that matter to us. And that's why I love laughter because I can go into a laughter session. I am certainly not feeling excited about a lot of the things going on in our country, on our planet. Uh, I definitely go into worry and fear, but my body knows the tonics, the, the, the way to move myself back into a joyful state, which nourishes and replenishes and restores and then I can actually even take in the herbal tinctures and the tonics I'm drinking instead of, you know, some part of me blocking and being so worried that I can't even absorb anything. I actually come into an open, receptive state. And so for those of you that are concerned about the practice of laughter and nothing is funny, I get it. And I want to say it's really okay to feel like that because when you're not really feeling like anything is going on that's worth laughing about, you are engaging your mind in a very concerned, caring way at times. Other times it's a a pure fear response. But just be aware that our body desires more than those chemicals running through it and that there is a way to give yourself permission, just like a yoga class, that you would go to and you would disengage the mind, just like anything that you would do to disengage the mind, going out into nature, you know, meditation, chanting, any of those things, give yourself permission to just laugh uncontrollably and watch what the body does. Because it is so wise, it will unlock that pharmacopoeia of endorphins and dopamine and serotonin, noradrenaline. All of these things start releasing in your body. It's just like, wow. You know, all of a sudden you might get better sleep, right? Maybe your pain starts going away because those chemicals that get released block, block the pain receptor sites. Like some of these things are in, in your book, Susan. And like, I love the way you talked about it. And Just know, for everyone listening, laughter does not feel good to the mind that is worried and used to being afraid and concerned and overwhelmed and all of those things, because that fear can be a habit. All of those things can be a habit. And laughter can be a habit, too. So the body's really neutral in the sense that it's not really judging, you know, what we're doing. It will take on new habits and patterns. It's just the sense of, What new habits and patterns will I keep exploring and connect to until my body hardwires it? And so I'm just ecstatic about laughter because it's given me joy. I didn't know joy as a child. And 
Now I actually know joy is real and it's authentic. And I can just, we all know that you can just smile and that can begin the flow of the happy chemicals. But what if you're actually laughing and engaging the diaphragm and all of those mm, feel good endorphins start releasing and you're just being silly and ridiculous and goofy and all of a sudden you forget what the heck you were worrying about. Like it's, it's just awesome. You know, people say to me, well, that's all well and good because uh, obviously you are happy about things, but I'm so miserable I couldn't even begin to laugh. And I'm curious as to what you would have to say about my answer, which is what I say is, well, then just fake it. Yeah, so, you know, I just want to acknowledge that we're in a culture right now where people are wanting to learn how to be authentic and to be true to oneself. And just any time you get the mind involved with the body, there could be some issues, all right? So the body wants to feel good. It really does, right? Pain is a signal. Come on, I need some support over here, right? Um, but the mind is going to say, well, faking it, that doesn't feel right to me, okay? So we, we start to dismantle the feeling, understanding, response, like, okay, is that actually a feeling that's coming from a thought, or is that a feeling coming from the body? Because when you fake it, especially when you're in a group of people, when you're faking laughter, it becomes real and contagious, like, just because – and especially around me because I, I've been practicing it for so long. I just, it comes out in all these different ways, and then I crack myself up. And when you give yourself permission, it's almost really like losing control, which a lot of us, including myself, don't always feel comfortable with, right? But when we just surrender into this flow of well-being by just going, <laughs> Even if you are faking a laugh, you're moving the diaphragm, you're making sounds, you're liberating stuck energy through sound and breath, and when you're doing it in a group, it feels phenomenal because many people in the group are already laughing and you can give yourself permission to laugh. Now, I do want to say one thing. In my own experience, after laughing consciously, intentionally, uh, multiple times a day, a week, all the time since 2009, in 2017 when my mom had a stroke and subsequently died, um, I was engaging in a 45-minute to hour-long laughter practice more than once a day to support myself to support the energy moving through and what happened was I uncovered sensations in my body that I'd never experienced before and so as I laughed it emptied it emptied my mind it was like an internal exercise for my organs and then I began to relax and notice how my body was feeling which were sensations there were strong sensations that I learned from talking with people and connecting with hospice were, were grief, were what grief felt like in my body. So many times, and so during that process, 
um, I had some interesting experiences, especially at the hospital when she was in the ICU and intubated and really didn't know if she was going to make it. I put my arms up in the air like I've done thousands of times, and my body knows, oh, if you plant a smile and put the arms up in the air, we're going to laugh. And in laughter yoga, we have an exercise called crying laughter. And I knew that I wanted to get the energy flowing so I could get my frontal lobe to turn on and start thinking clearly because I was so emotional. I didn't know what to talk to about the doc with the doctor. So I started doing the crying laughter and eventually my body started laughing uh, without crying anymore. And I started breathing more deeply. I regulated myself. I was able to talk to the doctor. And then over the time that she was dealing with the stroke until she passed, I began to do the crying laughter and, and then, to elicit more tears. And what happened was my body wasn't able, my body just went straight to laughter because it was so trained. And so that's when I took a deeper dive into the grief. It's when I started studying grief yoga and I began bringing the components of uh, emotions associated with grief into the body. And I just began doing the dance between grief and joy and grief and laughter and movement and sound. And it was a profound process. And so the reason I wanted to, to touch on that and also to say that when you are laughing, it's like this master liberator of energy. Like, you know, the diaphragm, it's, it's breathing us. It's so powerful. Like even when you sneeze, the, the power with which a sneeze comes out, and so laughter has the capacity to begin to release a lot of stagnant, stuck emotions in the body. So many times when people laugh, then they begin to feel tears coming up and they want to cry. And so that's why a lot of people keep themselves from laughing. So to go back to your original point, stimulated or fake laughter is a powerful tool to bring us back into the body to help liberate the diaphragm to get us to start making sound like a lot of people won't even like moan or wail if they're sad or even cry out loud or sneeze out loud you know and so we're tapping into the power that the body already has and sometimes it's uncomfortable so I teach my students we're learning not only how to cultivate an inner terrain of joy and laughter, of levity and inner peace, but we are also learning how to be present with pain, shut down, and disconnect and numb ourselves out, but just be this precious body we live in, this temple, like this is where, this is our home. It needs us right? And so when we begin to connect to those places and just be present, then the emotion can move through. And oftentimes in my classes, we, we tend and befriend, you know, with each other in our community. We befriend the grief and we bring laughter to it. We bring tears to it. And eventually the body's just like, oh, okay, I got some breath. I got some happy chemicals. I'm breathing again. I let that wave of grief move through okay, and I can feed myself or do whatever. So laughter, just faking it isn't, it, the thought faking it can feel uncomfortable to people, but the feeling tone experience in the body can be a profound gift. Give it a try, especially if you don't feel like laughing. Just say, Carla, 
H. Brown said it's okay to fake it, and so did Susan S. Wee. Yes. Carla, I yes. could talk to you for a really long <laughs> time, but I want to be sure that people know how to get in touch with you because you know we get cut off in the blog talk show. So tell them how to get in touch with you and what what kind of laughter can you do long distance? Do you do like Zoom laugh sessions? Oh, yeah. So um, I have uh, three uh, different classes a week where we are um, – one of them specifically is just um, laughter yoga on Zoom. It's uh, every Wednesday, 5.45 p.m. Pacific time, uh, 8.45 uh, Eastern time. And um, and then I also have something called the Joy Reboot, which I started around October of 2020 because I realized everybody was getting really used to being worried, scared, overwhelmed, everything. So I just knew that we needed a Joy Reboot. And so the Joy Reboot is, is 30 minutes twice a week, and it's I take all the modalities of energy medicine I've studied and Qigong and laughter and grief yoga, and it's really like emotional hygiene is what it is. And, and it always ends with just a empowering, affirming statements that we feel in the body, and we begin to pattern positive feeling uh, movements and statements in our body so we can feel good. And all of that, is listed on my website. My website is living joy, livingfromjoy.com. So it's F R O M, livingfromjoy.com. And the reason for that name is that uh, I spent um, the most of my childhood into my late 30s living from fear. And uh, after going through an immune system, um, an autoimmune system uh, experience called Guillain-Barre syndrome that left me paralyzed for 18 months. I got an acute experience of being in the body without being able to run away, eat it away, doing, doing anything. And I learned what fear really feels like. And uh, I began to befriend it and change the experience around. And so I know that fear can be in a very addictive way to live in the world, but you know, I also know that it doesn't feed us, it depletes us. So living from joy is a way to affirm in yourself and in your life, I'm having a fearful experience, but I am not of fear. I am of joy. I am of love. I am connection. I am peace. I am everything like that. I am wise. I am powerful. And I am experiencing a fear, fearful experience that I do not need to take into my field. So I teach, I teach that in my classes, and I have a blast, and we have a fun time. It's always healing, transformative, um, silly, goofy, wonderful. You know, we play. Yeah, we leave. I do a deep relaxation at the end, and we all leave feeling phenomenal. <laughs> so much fun. <laughs> Livingfromjoy.com. Exactly. Thank you so much for being with us to reweave the healing cloak of the ancients. And Sarah Ellen, mm. thanks for helping thanks. me to restore herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine. And thanks for once again being right there to help so much with another conference to end the fear. Herbal Woo-hoo! medicine 
people's medicine. It's the medicine that's right outside your door. Carla H. Brown, living from joy. Let's end with a nice laugh. <laughs> <laughs>